Hi, I'm Will Stein and welcome to Geography Island Jams. This podcast is in the same style as the BBC Radio 4 series, Desert Island Discs, whereby in each episode I ask my interviewee what eight songs, book and luxury item they will take with them if they are stranded on a desert island. For rights reasons, the music has not been included in this podcast. You can find links to the songs either on the Geography and Environment website or on the Geography Island Jams Spotify music account. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Geography Island Jams. Joining me today, I have BA geographer Imogen White. Originally from Chelmsford, Essex, Imogen described her background as boring compared to the stereotypical LSE student. However, regardless of how you view Chelmsford, it's fair to say that Imogen's life is anything but boring. Since joining LSE in 2020, Imogen threw herself into LSE life. She works part-time as the partial receptionist, She's an off-campus support mentor, works part-time for the Geography and Careers Department, and she also helps the LSE social media team create their content. Outside of the LSE, she keeps herself just as busy. During the pandemic, she trained to be a vaccinator. She regularly speaks on BBC Essex Radio, and she's currently training to do a triathlon, as well as running her own YouTube channel. So I think I had thought I had a crazy life, but Imogen, after reading that, I think you've definitely one up me on that. I feel like I've just won an award at school. <laughs> well, that's what I like to do. You know, I feel you've got to pick everyone's, you know, show them off before you bring them in. But I was wondering, how familiar are you with Desert Island Discs? Like, um, did you, have you ever listened to the original BBC, the podcast? I have to admit, I haven't. I've not really been a podcast person um, until very, very recently when I started running, um, which is in training for this triathlon that mm. you were talking about. Um, and I've suddenly started listening to some podcasts because they keep me a lot more entertained the music I found um, mm-hmm. and keep me running for a bit longer. Um, so I've started listening to Diary of a CEO um, classic um, and just listened to a couple of those. To be honest, in light of the Molly May scandal, um, I was like, right, I've got to listen to this. I've got to see what the what it's all about. Mm. Um, but other than that, I've never really listened to podcasts. <laughs> and how do you think? So I don't know if you know the concepts, but essentially you're stranded on a desert island. How do you think you would cope? Like, do you have any survival skills? Do you think you'd cope well being cast away? Yeah, I think I'd be very, very nervous if I knew I was going. If I just ended up in the situation, I think I'd be all right. Um, I did scouts when I was younger, actually, for a while, because when I turned about 11, I'd finished brownies, um, like Girl Guides brownies. Um, and I turned around to my mum and dad and I was like, I'm a tomboy. Like, I do not want to be in guides. Um, I do not want to be making cards for the rest of my life. I was like, I'm going to go and join the scouts. Um, so off I went with, and at this point, the scout troop, uh, like the, uh, what they called, scout pack that I joined, had not got a single girl in it. And I was like, right, I'm going to go really? and do it. Um, yeah, yeah. This was like when, I guess girls have been allowed for a while, but there was just nobody really near me who wanted to do mm. it. Um, and so I was kind of thrown into this world of like, I don't know, 20 teenage boys and me like and bearing in mind I was like 10 years old 10 11 years old at this point and like if you think I'm small now for those of you who know me in person you should have seen me then like I genuinely looked about seven um and I kind of was thrown into this world and had to kind of get on with it and I was learning to make bird boxes and um like tent pegs and stuff out of wood so I guess I'd be all right on desert island I reckon I'd be okay um I think I what I've always watched is it the island by Bear Grylls? Um, that TV oh, yeah. show. I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. <laughs> um, but I guess my time in Nepal was the closest that I've ever come to being 
stranded mm. and I coped a lot better than I thought I would in that situation mm. there well I'll ask you um you know I'll go into that bit later on but I think um yeah we're gonna kick off with the music so yeah um can you tell me what your first song is what your first song is and if there's any reasons why you've chosen it yeah so my first song is proud mary by tina turner um because i so i have a running playlist um and i when i say i've literally started running in the last year this time last year i could not run for longer than five minutes and i'm not joking i have the video evidence to prove it i was like near enough passed out after five minutes of running um and now i'm training up for this triathlon so i need some like good tunes to get me going um and proud mary always has me like singing along to myself as i run down the street um so yeah that's why i picked that one lovely so um i want to ask you a bit about um chelmsford life so you said it's a, a boring background compared to yeah. stereotypical LSE. It's, it's quite funny, actually. I actually think it's quite rare and quite interesting to find someone who's got like solid roots. I think like the stereotypical, even myself, I can't say I've lived in you know one country for um, my whole childhood. But but yeah, you described it as boring, but at the same time you love it. So like what parts do you think make it boring? And what parts do you think make you really attracted to it? Oh, I love Chelmsford. I love Essex. I'll take the mick out of it till the cows come home because it is like every, when I say to people, oh, I come from Essex, they're like, oh, you don't sound like you come from Essex. You're not orange and all this sort of thing. And it's like, oh, those are the stereotypes, but it is a fantastic place. Like there's a lot more going for it that people give it credit for. Um, I guess my favorite thing about Chelmsford is that it's so close to London. So even from like the age of 14, access the opportunities that there are here. Um, and I've been like involved in various different organizations who are based in London. Um, so you've got that kind of like side of things, but you're also in the countryside and like the British countryside is beautiful and it's lovely. Um, and it's a small town where I live. So Chelmsford, oh no, Chelmsford is a city as of 2012. We were very, very pleased with our city status. Um, I remember I was in assembly at school and we suddenly found out we were going to be a city for the, I think it was for the Olympics or it was the Olympic year. Um, and it was so exciting. Anyway, um, so Chelmsford is very, very small. It's got an ice rink. It's got bowling. It's got all the sorts of things you could want to do as a young teenager. But then you, everybody kind of grows out of it and moves out and goes to London and does all mm -hmm. these other exciting things. Um, and I've always said, if I ever have children, I want them to grow up somewhere like Chelmsford, if not Chelmsford. Ah, uh, <laughs> it's fun, mate. You know, fun. To, it shows, you know, it shows like rootedness, like to have a, a strong sense of place if you go to GY, GR100. But, yeah, uh, most people are desperate to move away. And I'm like, no, keep me in Chelmsford. <laughs> I think I've realised that as well. From being away and like going to other places, I've suddenly realised how much I appreciate. I've always slammed it when I lived there and kind of lived there full time. I was like, oh, I can't wait to move away. I can't wait to go to university. And now I'm like, oh, I quite like my little weekend back at home. Uh, and um, before your next song, um, put you on the spot a bit, but do you have any most memorable stories like, any childhood stories or things you remember most prominently like um from yeah childhood life in childhood. Yeah. yeah so when the park and ride opened this was very exciting this gives you an idea of what's going on in Chelmsford um <laughs> the park and ride had just opened and they were doing free bus journeys for uh, like children and their parents to go and see it and I remember going on the bus and I've got a brother um he's only a couple of years younger than me and I remember my mum taking him on the bus and we sat on this park and ride bus 
all day driving around to Chelmsford, the same route around Chelmsford. And he just loved the buses. Um, wow. And so we just had to sit there all day. And then this kind of followed on from when me and my brother used to go to my grandma's. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I think my parents just needed time away from us both. Um, so we'd be shipped off to our grandma's for the day. And again, she would we would literally go on the bus as a day trip um, for the sake of my brother. And we would just sit there and go around the entire bus route before coming back to her house. And we would not get off once. Um, and so I think that has to be one of my favourite memories of Chelmsford. Oh, that is lovely. Uh, it's fun. It's fun now, like the tiny things can give you such a um, prominent memory. Like, you know, who would have thought like a bus ride would be so significant to people? But it's true. You know, it just takes one. Like I always feel when I get on the big red bus in London, sit at the front, I always feel, you know, you get a little bit of a buzz. But I think most people do. Everyone loves sitting on the front at the top of a double decker yeah it's special um but now your second song um what it is and if there's any reasons why yeah my second song kind of linked to the first one is um when the going gets tough by boys zone um i have the worst taste in music just to kind of like put before all of these songs um but yeah again this is linked to like the running um I've I like I was not a runner and there's been a lot of things where I've done things that are completely out of my comfort zone in my life and things that I never thought I'd do and I guess this song for me just kind of sums that up more in the name than anything else but also it's quite a good like dance along tune um so yeah so that leads me quite nicely on to um well yeah you said you originally wanted to go to uni in the Netherlands um yeah. but you pulled out because you couldn't get accommodation so what what made you want to go, yeah, uni outside the UK? Because, you know, from growing up living in Chelmsford, I'd definitely say that's outside of the, you know, the comfort zone. Yeah, for sure. There was no support from my school for going to university abroad because they just didn't know anything about it. Mm. Um, so the the reason was I was in about probably year, year 11, um, so I was about 16, and I was looking at where I was going to, like, start going to university. And all my friends were going to university in the UK, and I've never really liked doing the normal thing. Um, which I think you'll probably gather from listening to this. Like, I always want to be different, want to do something um, kind of of my own accord. And so I was looking at university and obviously university in the UK is quite expensive, but we do have loans to help us with that. But at this point, we were still in the EU. I know, um, crazy times to think back to then. Um, and we could get fees in the Netherlands for, I think, £2,000 a year, um, there or thereabouts. And then it was £1,000 for the second year. So it was like way cheaper than going to university in um in the uk and south end airport which is also in essex had recently opened and you can literally fly from south end to um, amsterdam in about 40 minutes like it's super quick wow. and i was looking at universities like edinburgh and durham and places like, like that well if i'm going to go to durham for example that's like a four or five hour journey and i was like why am i considering these universities that are even further away just because they're in my own country and actually they're going to cost me more so that was kind of the reasoning behind why i first started looking at it and then i was looking at various like political science degrees and international relations was originally what i wanted to study um and there's an there was a course that really interested me called international relations and organizations mm. um by Leiden university but i would have been based in the hague so I went over, had a look with my parents, more for a holiday than anything else. Um, and I really, really liked the place at The Hague. At the time, I was very much like, I was absolutely in love with Chelmsford. Um, and I was like, I just want to be in a small city. I want to be somewhere like Chelmsford. I kind of liked the idea of having a beach. So I was like, yeah, okay, this is perfect. But the university system, the Dutch university system, is not set up with accommodation 
like easily accessible. Um, I don't know if this has changed since I applied, but when I first applied, you could get accommodation through the university, but you had to pay quite a high premium. And seeing as I was going to the Netherlands to save money, I was like, right, I'm not paying that. I'm too frugal for this. Um, so I started looking for accommodation myself and it is near impossible. All the landlords want to meet you. Well, I'm based in the UK. I can't just hop on a plane like the next day to get over to the Netherlands. Um, so I couldn't do that. And so I wasn't able to get accommodation. Um, and it got to literally the week before my A-level results day. And I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing with my life? Because I'd applied through UCAS, but I'd applied to places like Manchester and a couple of other places, which were all big cities. And again, as I said, at the time, I just wanted to be somewhere like home. And so I was like, I don't really want to go to any of these places in the UK. So I was like, okay, let's scrap that. And I'll just have a gap year. Um, but I'm really glad it didn't work out the Netherlands, like so, so glad because I wouldn't have ended up studying geography. And I do genuinely believe that things kind of happen, not necessarily things happen for a reason because a lot of people have terrible things happen to them and it's not their fault, but like things often work out in a particular way because they do. Oh, no, I like that. No, I agree. I think you never know what life's got in store for you. Hmm. so now we are moving on to your third song so you can tell me if there's any reasons or if you can tell me what it is and if there's any reasons why yeah so the third one I picked is uh whenever wherever by Shakira um which I think is kind of in light of the gap year it was like I could go wherever in the world and I still had a really close connection to home um in terms of like during my gap year, surprisingly, as I traveled a lot more, I got a lot closer to my parents. Um, certainly when I, so I went out and overhead in Germany, um, which was a, a fantastic experience. Um, I went out with very, very little German knowledge and came back. I would say conversational would be the best way to put it. I wasn't, I've never been particularly good at German, but I went out with literally hello and goodbye. Um, so it was a bit of a steep learning curve. But every morning I used to go out at about, oh gosh, it was like seven a.m german time so six a.m in the uk or the other way around um and i used to go out and walk their dog um and this was like my major task of the day which took an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening because this dog was crazy it had so much energy um and i used to speak to my parents every single morning i'd never ever spoken to them that much in my life obviously i lived at home so it was slightly different um, but I'd never been like so close to them, but I literally used to that hour every morning. I used to relish it, um, just being able to catch up with them. And I was chatting them so regularly. So you would have thought we'd run out of things to say, but we always had something to catch up on. And it was just so lovely to be able to kind of develop that relationship into, I think, less like family connection, more kind of becoming friends with them almost. And like that transition. No, it's nice. It's funny. You never know what what things are going to you know, help, you know, bring families together, make you closer to certain people. And it's funny how walking a dog every morning yeah. um, is what did it for you. Um, well, that segues quite nicely. I wanted to ask about your, the gap here. So um, you said you initially tried to go interrailing. Well, you, sorry, not try, you did. You did go interrailing. But after yeah. two weeks, you were homesick and came back. But then nevertheless, you still decided to become an au pair and move away for three months. I was just wondering how, what was the thought process behind being homesick after two weeks but then throwing yourself permanently away for three months yeah so I first went out interrailing with a friend so I did the first week with a friend 
And then after that, I went, I was going on my own. And I say it was homesickness, the reason I came home, mm. um, because I was like, I was really homesick. I think a lot of it was due to being overtired. That is one thing that I've learned through the gap year and also coming to university is that I value sleep so much. Like it's the most important thing because it's the thing that allows me to do so much. Um, but anyway, so I, I was out um, traveling and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep because I was staying in hostels and things. And I was meeting some amazing people along the way, but I wasn't making close enough connections with them because I was moving too frequently. And so I'd often go out and do things on my own and I'm absolutely fine to do things on my own. I really like, I can do it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I enjoy it though. And I think this was the difference. So I would get to somewhere, say I was looking at like I don't know, Hungarian parliament building and I'd be looking at it thinking, this is a stunning building. I'd take a few photos. And next thing I'd be doing is FaceTiming my friends and family back at home and saying look at this building with me but it was like I was spending the whole time on FaceTime with other people or like talking to people back at home about the experiences I was having but I wasn't able to share them with anyone and I found that really difficult um, because I'm such a social person that actually even though I was doing these incredible things it just didn't feel like I was making particularly good memories and I felt like I was wasting the trip and that was the last thing I wanted. So originally when I planned interrailing, I planned to interrail and then go straight into a pairing. So I was going to be gone for four months at a time. And just the thought of that was far too daunting. Like I hadn't really thought it through. I'd planned my gap year in a rush because when I say I decided a week before results day, I was going to have a gap year. I then went interrailing three days after results day. So there was a week and a half of planning involved with this. Um, and so instead I decided to come home, all my friends were at home and they were just about to go off to university. They were all meeting up and saying goodbye to everybody. And I was stuck out in, well, I say stuck out in Europe. Like, I'm incredibly privileged to be able to go traveling and things. And I've been working the whole summer to do it, but I was like, I'm not enjoying this as much as I want to, and it's not worth it. So I decided to fly home instead, spend those three weeks, really, really like saying goodbye to my friends and like really enjoying my time at home and then going back out to Germany completely fresh and ready to give a new challenge a go um and it I like one of the best decisions I made was to come home from interrailing I look back on it now and actually I'm really pleased I made that decision and I'm more than happy to talk to people about it because I don't think it's a bad thing sometimes to identify when you're not happy and actually do something about it rather than just struggle through Mm. no I completely agree it's um yeah I know it's it's hard it's you know if anything it's harder to make that cool to know when enough's enough and you know for the greater good and all that jazz yeah for sure I get messages now from a lot of um university students who have like watched the videos about my gap year um and they've said oh yeah I did my first three weeks at name a university or whatever um in fact I have one the other day um and I'm so glad you made that video because it made me feel like it was okay to not like slog through another year of something I'm not enjoying and actually mm. go off work, travel, do something that I enjoy and then come back and give it a, like a new go. And I think it's such an important lesson to learn in life. I think it goes back to what you're saying before. I think it's that, you know, I hate to jump in, but I think people are scared to do things which aren't the norm, you know, like the norm is to do, you know, go to uni, just do the three years, whatever, but like, well, not the norm, sorry. That's obviously people who go to university, but like there's things in life which people just think there's one way or no other way. And it's like, you know, yeah. And like, you know, I suppose showing people through experiences where that's not the case can be quite um quite enlightening. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so now I wanted to move on to song number four. 
So my fourth song I picked is Rainbow by Katie Musgraves, which um, kind of linked to what we were just saying. It's quite a good song for being being sad. Like it's a, it's a weird one to say that, but I think it's really important to highlight that like whilst I might be doing these amazing things and I might be having amazing experiences, there are times when I sit there and I think, gosh, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Like, I don't know like what the next few months are going to hold. I don't know what opportunities are going to come up. And, and like life can be really tough sometimes trying to balance everything. I hit burnout regularly. Like I will quite happily hold my hands up and say, it's still something I'm really learning to deal with um, because balancing and juggling so many things. Yes, it's exciting and it's fun and it's great. And I get to do so many things, but like equally it's exhausting and not looking after yourself can be so, so dangerous. Um, and so often I'll listen to this song. I'll let myself have that moment to just think about it. And then I'll be like, right, okay, Imogen, evidently something's not working here like why are you this sad um like what are we going to do about it um and start working through like things that I can actually action to change that um because I think I have quite a proactive mindset um in like how we're going to approach things um god I'm waffling um I think I have quite a proactive mindset in how I'm going to approach things and I kind of apply that to also being sad which can be again like not the best way of looking at um like not the best way of approaching things sometimes because sometimes you just need to let yourself feel how you're feeling but equally it does help me to like move past burnout quicker so now i want to ask about your youtube channel you were saying you started it on your gap year yeah so i went out to nepal um in january so i came back from au pairing um which was yeah as i say crazy experience i had four children um including a three-year-old and chickens a dog, a cat, like it was the craziest household in Germany. Like it was, it was fantastic. Um, I'm still not a fan of chickens. Um, I never ever want to be pasta to a chicken again. Um, there were some really strange experiences whilst I was out there, but like on the whole, I just loved it. And um, I really, it made me appreciate the countryside a lot more, which interestingly is something that I still like hold strong whilst I'm in London. Anyway, so I came back from that in December and then I had Christmas at home, which was lovely. And then I took part in international citizen service, um, which with voluntary services overseas. Um, so like a development program, um, having done GY202 and also GY121 last year, um, looking back, it probably wasn't the most sustainable program. It was a lot better than a lot of programs, but it wasn't the most sustainable. Um, and I think I'd certainly consider a lot more before I went if I was going to do it again but either way if we ignore why I went to Nepal and actually look at the fact that I did go to Nepal um I spent three months or two and a half months out in Nepal from January through to the middle of March and we sat out in Nepal and we watched the whole world get shut down one country at a time thinking oh this is fine like it's hitting a lot of Asia like it's not going to like Southeast Asia it's not going to hit Nepal next thing we know we're being told by the British government that we're being brought home tomorrow so we literally found this out at midday wow. and the next day at 6 a.m we were being taken back to the capital and that evening we were flown home so we didn't have any of the debriefing and it was an incredible experience um but it was something that you really need the debrief from because to go from living in a rural village in the mountains near Kathmandu to going back to being in the UK which also is coping with like a major public health like disaster at the time um was a huge huge um like transition that we didn't really have much support with because just like the nature of COVID um but as I say like I was so lucky that I managed to get home safely and everything just to um, jump in so, so you said you didn't get debriefed what do you mean so they what what did they tell you when they um 
So debrief is meant to be a whole week long program back in the capital. So we worked with Nepalese volunteers. So there was a team of Nepalese volunteers and a team of British volunteers and we were matched up. So I stayed with a girl who was 21 years old um, and we shared a room together. We did all our projects together, like everything was done with her. And so the idea is that we take back what we've learned from the community. Um, we write up what the next team need to do to like continue our project because they want some sort of continuity because the whole idea is actually to help the community. Um, and then we also sit there and talk about our experiences and how we're going to apply them back to our lives in the UK or in Kathmandu, because the Nepalese volunteers came from a very different class to the people we were working with. Um, so for them, it was also like a massive culture shock when we went into the community. So the idea was that we would have this debrief and then we'd so we'd have three days in the local city and then three days in the capital city. And then you fly home and then we have to provide more like we have to do more documentation and work when we're back in the UK to like make sure that the project's being carried on um but that didn't happen because of COVID um which was fine but as I say like it was a big transition to coming home so I came home to literally like I don't know what was going on in the UK um like most people I guess um and I came home to live with my parents again having like lived walking to a school every day in Nepal um doing an hour and a half along the side of a mountain with um like landslides and all this sort of thing to just like living my very mundane life with nothing to focus on and this was the major thing like I was bored out of my mind I was reading a book every single day um and I was just sat there like basically festering my brother was also supposed to be sitting his a-levels so he was kind of like doing nothing getting up at 2 p.m and my parents were getting sick of it like they were like what are you two doing all of my friends who I'd gone to Nepal with were getting jobs like for Amazon or for um, Sainsbury's, like they were being essential workers and they'd managed to get jobs. And I was applying for some, but it just wasn't like, there weren't enough jobs for the people, like people were getting furloughed. And I also felt really guilty about applying for jobs when I knew that so many people had lost their jobs and really needed the money. Um, and I luckily had worked for a lot of my gap year before I'd kind of gone traveling. Um, and so I was financially in much better position. Um, so I felt really guilty. I got an interview at a care home um, to work there, but this is when like work was, um, this is when COVID was rife in care homes. So I was like, okay, um, I've got this interview and I was like, I just need to do something. I told my parents, they were like, absolutely no way. Like financially you are fine. You do not need a job. And as I say, like, this is all coming from a place of privilege. And I'm very, very aware of that. Um, but I'd been watching hours of YouTube as well as reading books. And my mom said to me, why don't you start a YouTube channel? And I was like, no way, Jose, am I doing that? That is social suicide. Like, honestly, there was no way in the world I was going to do that. And then we talked about it and I was like, I haven't got anything interesting to say. I'm doing something quite boring at the moment. Like sitting at home is really quite dull. And my mum was like, Imogen, like look at what you've done over your gap year and you've not documented any of it. And look at what you've done beforehand applying to university in the Netherlands. And we started looking on YouTube at like what was available. And there is nothing available about applying to university in the Netherlands. My school had no idea about it when I applied. Um, so they weren't overly helpful. And I really could have done with somebody to guide me through the process because it's very different to our UCAS process. Um, and so that was kind of where the start of the channel came from. So the first couple of videos were about like, my experiences traveling and applying to university in the Netherlands. And then I kept going with it. And when I found out I got into, well, I found out in Nepal that I got into LSE um, and I realized that I could start making content about that. But I don't know if this has been brought up before maybe in the podcast, but 
it, interestingly, LSE has a very different reputation in the UK to what it does internationally. It has a fantastic international representation, uh, not representation, has a fantastic international reputation. And like most students will know about it if they're applying internationally. But if you're in the UK, a lot of students don't actually know what LSE is. Um, and a lot of people don't know that like how good LSE is as an institution. Um, and so I started creating these videos thinking like, it's just like every other university in the UK kind of thing. And before long, I realized it has an amazing international represent, uh, reputation. And that was what was feeding into it getting so many views. And that's kind of where my YouTube channel took off. And I quite liked the process of documenting my life, to be honest. Mm. That's a very long-winded answer. Sorry. No, no, no. It's very interesting because you know it's it's, it's funny how things come about. Because really, if, so if COVID hadn't happened, you weren't in the pool, as you said. That's what really propelled you into all the YouTube making. Yeah, and like my application to LSE was as a result of me being in Germany because I basically decided I wanted to be close to home. Um, as a result of living with a family in Germany, I was like, I love living with a family. And so I was like, I want somewhere that I can commute to, um, but also that like reflects my A-level grades. Um, so I was looking like in a radius from Chelmsford and on one side, you've got the sea and on the other side, you've got London. So there weren't many options besides London. Um, so I ended up applying to all London universities and because LSE's geography course is only human geography, that's kind of why I applied here. Um, but I wasn't even looking at geography beforehand. My offers for UCAS the year before were for politics um, because I was really heavily involved in politics during sick form. Mm, it's funny how things can change, isn't it? And then, yeah. Then here you are now doing geography a year in a year a year and a half. Yeah, About a year and a half in. Something like that. But for, anyway, time for more music. Um, can you tell me about your fifth song? Yeah, so the next one I picked, kind of linked to the YouTube thing, is um Love Me Now by Kygo. Um, because I often used to listen to music like this, um, like kind of I don't know if you call it electric dance music, but like Kygo's music um is stuff I've really, really enjoyed for a few years. And I used to listen to it a lot during school when I was revising. Um, but also I spent a lot of time like envisioning what clips I would put to it. And it was just like, like images and memories in my head that I had of my friends kind of like doing fun things. And like, it was almost the creative vision that I now use for my YouTube channel that I had before I'd even started it. Um, so I would think about music like this and how I'd fit those memories to the music, um, which is actually now basically the process that I use to to fit music to the videos that I'm making. Mm. Well, it's funny. It's almost a bit like, um, is it Slumdog Millionaire? You know, how all these things like slowed in and I want yeah. yeah, it was really therapeutic actually putting these, um, these songs together because as I say, I've never really been a, the sort of person who like listens to loads of music. I'll just listen mm. to whatever Spotify recommends for me. Um, but like putting this together, it was like, okay, I need some meaning behind these songs. And I realized there's a lot more songs that have meaning to me than I realized. Mm, I was, so just, yeah, deviating, but did you, how did you put them together? Did you, did you just go through your playlist or were there songs that just jumped straight out? Like this song has to go in. Yeah. So I started off with the, literally what Spotify recommended for me and the ones that I listened to quite a lot. And then I was, um, like I wrote the prep stuff for this, like kind of vaguely what I was going to talk about. Um, and I was kind of looking through it, thinking about the music that I linked to those experiences. Um, and so half of it is, as I say, like my running playlist. And the other half of it um, is stuff that really has memories for me. 
Mm. Very nice. Well, I've enjoyed all the songs. Well, I have to listen to them. I think I've, I've recognised <laughs> two or three. But um, so yeah, so you've been at LSE since September 2020. Is that right? 2020? 20, 20, no, yeah. 2020. Um, yeah. And you said you weren't as, as involved as you would like to be in uh, your first year yeah obviously complete flip now from you know the introduction but um like what what makes you say that what what was first year like for you of course you had it like the worst i think yeah the worst covid year because it was whole way through really it was only in june i think things began to slightly look a bit better yeah so i moved into passfield um at the start of uni and just before that, I'd had a job at home. So at the end of my gap year, I got a job um, working back in a boarding school that I'd been working with for a few years. So not actually my school, but um, one that's based in Essex, working with the international students who needed to quarantine before they came back into school. And I'd really enjoyed that. And then from that, my like my role kind of grew. Um, and so I then was asked to come back for October half term and then December. So I spent a lot of first year at home working in this boarding school. In fact, I actually worked out, I spent double the amount of time in the boarding school as I did in London. Um, so I really wasn't in London a lot. I didn't meet a lot of the people because I was, if I was interacting with them, it was the like few girls that I'd met during Freshers Week, really. That was my only link to LSE in mm. first year. Um, and then leading on from that like obviously none of us came back in January or very very few of us came back in January so again I didn't move back to university um and this is when I again I said like I got bored I trained as a vaccinator just to get me out of the house because um both my parents are teachers actually and because schools were open for a lot of that time um or they were teaching online like nobody was really about and I was just getting really really lonely being at home even though I was surrounded by my family or like um that sort of thing. I was getting really lonely. And my brother was on a gap year. He was working for the COVID testing center. So a lot of the time I was actually sat there on my own um, during lockdown. Um, and so I, I was like, right, okay, I've just got to do something. Like I need to see other people and legally I'm not allowed to see anybody else. So how can I do this? And basically realized that if I trained as a vaccinator, I could go to the vaccination centers and there's over a hundred people there every day and you get to meet all sorts of members of the public. I was like, oh, great. Then I can chat to random people. That sounds like something I'd enjoy. <laughs> so I trained up as a vaccinator. Um, but again, like I wasn't doing much for LSE. Um, and that's what I mean by I wasn't really as involved as I'd have liked to be. And then when um, I was working at this boarding school again in Easter um, with the students who couldn't go home for the holidays because of COVID restrictions, um, I actually got through a friend of a friend I got an email about a job in Cheltenham now I didn't even know where Cheltenham was I know this is shocking as a geography student um but I'd lived in Cheltenham my whole life like I had no idea I had to google it um anyway there was a job at a boarding school there to work with seven to ten year olds which um I'd previously worked with younger students so I was like oh that'd be fine um that'd be fun um whose parents mainly were in the military um so a lot of them working for the army and stuff um and it was basically a role to go and be a part of this school work full-time look after these children um and yeah just like see what challenges the school had to throw at me and they needed someone to start immediately and I was like mm, this definitely isn't a good idea I do have university exams um but I mean lo and behold like I applied anyway and thought I'll just see what happens so I applied on the this random Saturday morning by Monday I had an interview on the Wednesday they offered me the job and the following Friday I moved to Cheltenham um oh my God. This, yeah this is all in the middle of like Easter so I'm also doing my like GY140 projects at the same time 
and I'm doing my GY121 take home exam. Um, but I was just like, okay, I mean, like, yes, these exams are important, but having had the year I've had, I was like, I've got to just do things that I really enjoy and experiences I'm going to value. Mm-hmm. And actually, I still stand by the motto that if you ask a busy person to do something, they'll get it done for you because um, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like if you give a task a set amount of time, then it will take that set amount of time up to a certain extent. Um, And if you give it all the time in the world, then it will take all the time in the world. So I was like, okay, I moved to Cheltenham um, and I worked there for eight weeks. So I did my GY 100 exam in about two hours every evening and just like thought that'll be that. And I did all right. I probably could have done better if I'd have focused on it fully. But actually, the experience that I gained from going to Cheltenham, I still stand by, was one of the best decisions that I made. Wow. Um, (laughs) You really have, you know, it's like the most un-LSE first year you can have, I guess. Um, Which is interesting in itself, because I do really value like education. And that's one of the things I'm really interested in, hence why I work in all these schools and doing all these things with young people. But I do feel like a lot of the time LSE doesn't really value that, like considering it's an educational institution, it's like, well, if it's not banking or law, what are you doing with your life? Um, What do you mean by that? So what in what ways do you think the university could value education more? Well, just like. I don't really know. I think it's the, I think it's more the students and just like their focus on when I say to people, oh, I want to go into education um, or I want to go and be a teacher. I think maybe it's all in my head because I know a lot about the reputation of the university from doing my YouTube channel and the people I'm talking to and what they value, Mm. like the prospective students. But I just feel like it's like, if you're not earning a lot of money, then what are you doing with your life? Um, and obviously teaching isn't the highest paying job in the world. Um, but I just think it's incredibly rewarding. And it's like, I've been doing 207 recently, God, I'm getting all of the modules in now, um, and learning about like habituses and all that sort of thing. I, it makes so much sense to me. Like it's suddenly been a way of like organizing my own life in terms of a lot of people at LSE value their economic capital above all else. For me, social capital and cultural capital in the way of like education, institutional capital is so much more important. Like, like talking to people and having that like interaction is so important. I really struggled during Lent term last year. Like I'll be the first person to put my hands up. I made a video actually, literally of me crying in my bedroom over working work at LSE because I just felt so detached from everything that was going on. I felt like work was being thrown at me and I wasn't part of anything. Mm. Um, because I just didn't have that connection. And that's why this year has been so much better. Oh, well, I'm glad, you know, <laughs> I think I can even set myself, even, even as staff, this year's a completely different last. It's like, you can't even compare the two. Um, it's like a different world. It really is a different world. But um, no, we've got to move on with the music. So can you tell me about the sixth song you'll be taking with you? Yeah, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this guy's name, but it's called Experience by... Ludo Chio Einaudi. Yeah. So it's an instrumental track. Um, I when I'm doing work, I listen to instrumental songs like religiously. Um, and so I thought it wouldn't be correct, like it wouldn't be right to do my eight songs without including one of these, given this is the majority of the music I listen to on Spotify. My Spotify wrapped is just full of instrumental music. Um, but it's like classical music, but it really gets you going and gets you working. And I find it really motivating to get me through my uni work and so that I can go and have fun times with my friends and do all the other things I enjoy. Very nice. So now I've got some wild card questions for you. One that's always like to throw in just to get a bit of a flavour. But um, 
Mm -hmm. One of them, you might have already said already, but like growing up, did you have any um, childhood ambitions? And if so, are they the same as what you wanted to do now? Oh, yeah, I had so many. Um, when I was about seven, I went to, um, I think it's Woolerton Park, Woolerton Hall in Nottingham. Um, if any people are listening who are from Nottingham, they'll know what I'm talking about. And there's a taxidermy museum there. And I went with my granddad. What museum? Uh, taxidermy like stuffed animals okay wow really rogue as I say my parents are teachers so every weekend was like a school trip we were going somewhere else in the country to a new we had the English heritage membership I remember for one year and every <laughs> single weekend we went to a castle oh, wow. like name a castle in the UK and I've probably been to it kind of thing my brother <laughs> and my dad would go and play football in the car park and I'd be taken around by my mum with an audio book like an audio guide in hand um being told about this medieval castle so this is like my childhood was again quite unconventional I would say mm. anyway we went to Woolerton this museum thing in Nottingham Woolerton Hall or whatever it's called um with my granddad um weird choice of museum we let my granddad choose anyway I was fascinated by the stuff like the stuffing of animals and that was it from about the age of seven I was like right I'm going to become a taxidermist. So I turned up at my first day of secondary school and got asked, what do you want to be when you're older? As like an icebreaker. And oh, we're going around no. getting like doctor, lawyer, all this sort of thing. And I'm like, yep, I want to be a taxidermist. And you can imagine how many friends I had after that. But um, yeah, so that was my first one. And then I think I moved on to an anaesthetist by about year eight and then realized that I actually didn't like biology. So that wasn't going to go down too well um and I was no good at chemistry um so I moved on past that and then I'm just trying to think what else I went through I had honestly it changed every week it was changing like the wind um I think it, for a long time it was being a politician so I was part of the youth I was part of the UK youth parliament um from about year 11 onwards and spent a lot of time doing like political stuff engaging with my MP working with like charities and things um so I guess charity work was a big thing for a long time international development worker we went through that as well yeah I had it, yeah as I say it changed like the wind changed um and it was a bit of a joke so I think my parents are quite quite intrigued by the fact that I've stuck out something um but I mean they're quite pleased anyway because they're like oh if you want to go into education that's obviously their kind of realm but I've always said I absolutely never want to be a teacher because my both my parents are teachers and then about a year ago, I think I realized that actually it's a really good career for having children and having a family, which is going to be really important to me. I I, sorry, I still can't believe you wanted to wanted to stuff animals. <laughs> yeah. What a fun, what a fun. <laughs> trying to think about the craziest one we've had. I think that is probably first, if not close <laughs> second. Someone previously said when they were same age, six, seven, wanted to become a dolphin. Um, nice. Their family had to break to them. That's not really an option, but um, at least not yet. Who knows? But, I remember um, being asked this question in my German oral in about year eleven, um, and I couldn't remember the name of anything. Like I couldn't remember the name of any job. So I just turned around and I was like, I wanted to be a cloud when I was younger. And my teacher was like, Oh my goodness! And I think from that point on, we realised German wasn't for me. Well, clearly now, you know, after <laughs> you you went to Germany and you take German classes at LSE. Yeah, I do. I do a German module. Yeah, I realized when I went out to the country, it's very different learning German in context to what it is learning it in a UK secondary school. Um, and actually, I found my love for the language and I suddenly realized it could actually be useful besides saying what my daily routine is for the purposes of my teacher. 
Yeah, of course. Um, trying to decide which one next. I think we'll go for, what about, yeah, if you were to have a um, dinner party and can invite a celebrity guest, dead or alive, anyone in the world, anyone which jumps to mind? Celebrity. I was saying to you before this, wasn't I, that my popular culture knowledge is shocking. Like, if you name celebrities... Well, it doesn't have to be celebrity. Maybe it, doesn't, it could be a anyone in the world. A celebrity, you know, filmmaker, artist. Like, any anyone which you really would love to just pick their brain and um, over, like, a dinner party. Oh, gosh. Do you it's know hard. what? I'm not really, like... I don't think I'd go for a celebrity. If I could pick somebody who was dead or alive, I think I'd probably go for my granddad. Like, so he passed away a few years ago, but I had the best relationship with him. Um, And like, he was an incredible man. He was so proud of everything that we did. And like, he wasn't perfect in any sense of the word. Like, I remember my mum has told me this story many a time that she wanted to go off to university to train to be a teacher. And they said, absolutely not they my parents my grandparents refused to fund it um they threw all of her stuff out on the car when she was meant to be driven to university and said the only university you need pet is the university of life because they're from nottingham um and that was it so she had to have a gap year just so that she could fund her way through university um and so he never really valued education and then next thing i know i'm at school and it's like you better work hard like that was very much the motto so i think he's changed quite a lot but like i think i'd be I just, I just really want to tell him everything I've done because I think he'd be so proud of like the stuff I've managed to achieve to date, and yeah, it would just be really special. Ah, what I'm a bit emotional. I don't really get emotional, but yeah, I think it would just be, yeah, I yeah, I really miss them. I really miss them. Ah, well, now it's time for your seventh song. Yeah, um, so my seventh song is Sally Mampayu, Paru. Um, again, definitely butchered the pronunciation of that because I don't actually, I had to ask my friend to tell me the name of this song. It is um, the song that I learned to dance to in Nepal at um, every wedding that we went to. Um, and I remember we went to the wedding, so we weren't allowed to drink whilst we were in Nepal because we were volunteers and we were there for work purposes and all that sort of thing. And also the alcohol that they made was homemade. So goodness only knows what the alcohol percentage was. And um, this Nepalese woman, random woman from the community, I have no idea who she was, came up to me. She just prods you. Um, I'm not, I think that might've been a cultural thing. Um, and that was it. I, and I started dancing with her because I was like, okay, like I don't really mind dancing. And I thought it'd be rude not to. Next thing I know, I'm there two hours later, still dancing with this woman. She would not let me go. Um, and she was definitely like completely smashed. Like she was so drunk um but we just danced away to this song and we had it on repeat for two hours um so fair to say i know all of the dance moves to this very poorly but i do know them is there anything you wish you could tell yourself before you started at lse oh gosh yes there's quite a lot um (laughs) It would be like the classic things like don't worry about the work and all that sort of thing. You don't need to work as hard in first year. Like it, it is only 12% or 12.5% or whatever it is. Um, but also I think don't get too caught up in trying to please other people. And it's going to be a very different experience from secondary school. Like my secondary school, I went to an all girls school in Chelmsford. Like it was very, it was really diverse, but it was very like, we all had similar ambitions and came from similar backgrounds and LSE isn't like that. Like people come from all over the world and are in 
very, very different situations at home. Um, and I think I spent a lot of time thinking about how other people would view me. Um, of course, it's quite deep. But yeah, like I spent a lot of time thinking how I was being viewed by other people. And I think if I'd have just stopped, thought about what was important to me and focused on that, I would have had a much easier ride. Like I wouldn't have been, like, it wouldn't have been a better experience for any, like necessarily, but it would have been an easier ride because I spent, I spent so much time worrying about like how people would view what I was doing. And I thought like, Imogen, you've really got to lose this. Like, yes, okay, your life is on YouTube. And yes, okay, most people who go to this university see like you brushing your teeth in the morning, which is far more like intimate than a lot of like their relationships with even their friends at LSE. Um, but like, so what? It should be something to be proud of and you should do what you want because you want to do it and not because of how everybody else is going to view you. Very nice. And then um, my final question is, what is your favorite thing about being part of the LSE? Oh, I think it's the opportunity to do so much. Like, it's been amazing to make like make the most of every opportunity that there is. Gosh, I sound like I should be in the prospectus. Um, well, they've trained you, haven't they, with the social media team? Yeah, they have kind of put that down. You know all the lines. Yeah, I do. They've, they've trained me up. Um, no, but like we're getting emails all the time about stuff, even just like doing surveys and things. There's always something to get involved in and like somebody who wants a student's perspective on something. Um, so I think that's probably my favorite thing like I really value the opportunity to yes okay I can like be taught by world leading academics and I can be like I can do the education stuff but part of me thinks so can everybody else at LSE and like I know we're already like very different from a lot of students because we're at LSE um but it's the everything else that it offers like what's going to make me stand out like those opportunities I think make it such a special experience for me um because like I enjoy doing the everything else just as much if not more so than doing my academic work they haven't trained me up to say that sure. <laughs> you're not being you're not being, <laughs> you're being sponsored for this no no not today <laughs> i wish gosh oh. Alice, you'd like to sponsor me <laughs> um so now we are after your last song song and bait um, that is The Flood by Take That, because um, I went on a road trip in the UK this summer. It was meant to be an international road trip. COVID said no. So we ended up doing one of the UK. This is just me and my friend Sophie and her little Fiat 500. Um, we drove all the way up to Scotland. Goodness only knows how Fifi the Fiat 500 made it up to Scotland and back again. Um, and we went to Wales. But her little Fiat 500 is quite old um, and it doesn't have an aux cord. So we couldn't play our own music. We could only play what we could get on a CD. So we went to Oxfam in Durham, I think. Um, and we were searching around and the only CD that we could find that looked vaguely okay was um, Now 78. We had a couple of others like Girls Aloud and Ollie Murs, but they just didn't live up to, up to our standards. Um, and I remember driving to the Lake District. It was so sunny and her little Fiat 500 also doesn't have aircon. Um, so we were like boiling in the car. She was getting a burnt arm from driving on one side. Um, and we were like blasting out the flood by take that. And it was one of my favorite memories. Also, I thought now 78 meant now 1978. Um, but looking at some of the people who were on that CD, like Jessie J, she definitely wasn't born in, now, uh, in 1978. So I then got informed by my friends that it's actually the 78th like a CD in the Now series um, and not Now 1978. So that's a funny story from that. <laughs> that's quite funny. Uh, 
I've heard about it now in a while. I used to love it growing up. I think it was like every season they'd bring out a new. Yeah, I think that gives you an idea of how like detached I am from the musical world in that I didn't really understand the concept of the now like 19, uh, the now 78 um, and all the CDs. Mm. Brilliant. So you've done your songs. We're now moving on to the second section, mm-hmm. um, which starts off with the book. So I'm not sure if I told you, but you're allowed to take with you already given um, religious texts of choice, uh, the beverage report, and then also a book of your choice. So what is the book you'd be taking with you? I think if I've got a religious book and the beverage report, I don't need anything else academic. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the first thing I'd say. So um, I picked The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary, which is one of my favourite, like, it's basically a um, girls' night film, but in a book format, I would say. That's the best description of it. Um, it was really popular last year, and it's one of the ones I read during lockdown, I think. Um, but it's basically about these two people who, um, one of them works nights and one of them works days and neither of them have enough money for their flat. So they end up having a flat share. So one of them has the flat during the day and one of them has it during the night based on their working patterns. And then, I mean, spoiler alert, like they fall in love and it's just, yeah, really cute. So that's the book I'd read. Bit of like escapism. And now your luxury item. Um, predictable again I would bring a camera because obviously in true image and white fashion I would want to film the whole experience um, even if I couldn't edit it together um, I think I just love the opportunity to be able to make those memories like to record those memories and then um, I think I did ask you I hope I did but then we've got a favorite meal or yeah, drink like um, final meal So having spent three months in Nepal and only eating rice and curry and the most exciting part of my day, uh, most exciting part of my week was once a week when I get given egg curry. Um, I actually have firsthand experience of what food I would crave after eating the same food every single day. Um, And the one thing that I wanted as soon as I returned to the UK was pizza. Like, I don't think I'm particularly up on Italian food. Like I'm not the biggest fan of it, but oh my goodness, that first pizza, that first bite when I came back to the UK, oh, I can't even describe the feeling. And my two favorite toppings would be chicken and sweet corn because I love sweet corn and chicken's good protein. So yeah. I make me hungry now. Um, <laughs> and now we are on the last, by no means the least, um, your quote of choice. Um, so I think it's an American proverb. Um, I really should have done a bit more research on where this came from, but I was doing some Googling and I couldn't find it. But it, the quote is, love many, trust few, and always paddle your own canoe. Um, it used to be in my Instagram bio in about year eight, and it was a joke um, to everybody else. I, I took it very seriously because I like doing different things, but everyone was like, Imogen, this is so cringy. Like, you need to take it out of your Instagram bio. Um, but I just had the end of it, paddle your own canoe. Um, but yeah, I think it's important. It's something that I've certainly learned that like you can be nice to everybody and it's really important that you're nice to everybody and treat everybody with respect. But actually like keeping your circle small is really important, especially if you're trying to achieve quite a lot. Um, it's really important that you really trust the people who you've got around you um, and paddle your own canoe, like do your own thing. And um, yeah, like don't be afraid to be different to everybody else and push the boundaries. I remember I've told so many friends about like my crazy ideas to like do a lot of the things that I've talked about today and they've said that is the worst idea I've ever heard or like don't do that you're just going to be you're going to burn out or whatever and actually it's been some of the best experiences of my life so actually sometimes trusting your own instincts and not listening to what everybody else says um is is the best thing to do 
All right, nice bit of finish. Well, Imogen, thank you very much for giving up the time to tell me about your Geography Island Jams. Thank you for having me on.